in Psalm 119, verse 121. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. And we're on uh, this handout. We're on page seven. Page seven, and that's uh, item number six, which is on page six, of course. God's time is the blanks there. God's time. But we're on letter C, which is on page seven, which is God is long suffering. He clearly does not want to bring uh, man to his final judgment. And so everybody know where we are? Everybody good? All right. <laughs> it's Wednesday. We got to shake the Wednesday cobwebs. Up. <laughs> I always have cobwebs on Wednesday night. <laughs> Of course, I usually have them on Sunday morning, too. <laughs> so God is long suffering. He clearly does not want to bring man to his final judgment. That's, of course, verse uh, 126 again. It is time for the Lord to work, for they have made void thy law. And so letter I is uh, God's message to mankind said foremost in the person of Jesus Christ is mercy. And that's what, again, what a lot of people fail to understand about religion. And of course, there's a great deal of religion. <laughs> An overabundance of religion, especially in America. And it, most of it, of course, is not right. Most of it's not based on the word of God. But the, the message of God to the human race is not one of religion. The message of God to the people of humanity is mercy. It's the most important thing on his agenda is to communicate to mankind that he has mercy for every sinner. <laughs> And of course, that's why the gospel is good news, because sinners need mercy. And the wonderful news about God is he is abundant in mercy. The Bible says he's quick to forgive. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. That is who God is at his core. He wants to forgive mankind. He has already made the, the manner in which we can be forgiven available. It's already here. And so God is very clearly delineating out the information. It is here. Salvation is here. Mercy and forgiveness is available for every person. So I have this note underneath the letter I there. God was not required to show us mercy. And again, that's another flawed concept of mankind thinking that God owes us something. God owes us nothing. God made us in the, the perfect way in, Gen, uh, in Genesis. You have the record of it. And for Adam and Eve, they were made without flaw. They were made in the image of God. And then they listened to the voice of the serpent and they sinned. And the entirety of the human race ever since has had sin. And so listen, the point is, is that God is not required for by some law, even of his own, to show us mercy. It is his love and compassion for us that compels him to seek the lost and to save him. There's some save them. There's some verses. I really want to look at that. Romans chapter five in verse six. Romans chapter five, verse six. Romans five, six. 
For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And again, the problem with a great deal of religion is they leave the most important parts out. (laughs) The Bible makes it clear that mankind becoming sinners They became enemies of God. Every human being alive because of sin is in in, in the very essence of who we are. We are at enmity with God. And the thing is, is this passage spelling out that. Let me read this again. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we when when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And that, of course, is the most precious Message that any human being can receive that God crossed the gap and he laid his the, 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 the accoutrements of deity aside. Now, it's not that he didn't well, he wasn't a God anymore. He still was. But he left all the privileges of heaven and all the he let he put his glory aside and he took upon him humanity. He became a man. The Bible says in Romans, he came in the likeness of. Of sinful flesh. He looks just like us. And so he became a man and dwelt among us. And we, we've been talking about, a lot about this in Sunday school. But he became one of us and dwelt among us. And the Bible says in John that he became a member of the human race. He took on flesh, human flesh, and he became a man. And it always boggles my mind. He didn't do that for a temporary amount of time. He became a, he joined the human race forever. He is in a resurrected body now in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, the father, making intercession for us. And and when he comes back and we're going to read about that tonight in Revelation 19, when he comes back, he will be in the glorified form that he is in now. And he will still have the scars in his hands because he did this great work and he did it for his enemies. The Bible says, John, chapter three, God so loved the world. Because we became enemies didn't mean that he didn't love us anymore. He still loves everyone. God so loved the world, meaning everyone without exception. And so uh, God's message to mankind said foremost in the person of Jesus Christ is um, is mercy. And it is his love and compassion for us that compels him to seek and to save the lost. I want you to see this in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 and verse 3. Roman, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, 
doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he found it, when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say, to, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over, uh, over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And of course, the message that the Lord Jesus is sharing is how the shepherd goes after that lost sheep. <laughs> and he will not rest until he goes, goes and finds it. And when he finds it, that lost sheep, that sheep which went astray, he, he rejoices. The Bible says, and when he hath found it, verse 5, when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And of course, that's, that is the beauty of what it is to be saved. Now, what it is for, for Jesus to find you. <laughs> because the sheep don't make their way back. The sheep have to go and be, be found. And you know, the Lord Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in this passage, which believe that they don't need to be found. And that, of course, is the major problem of humanity that they do not. They, and we're going to get to, to more about this as well. But they, they believe in the false assumption that they don't need to be saved. You see, the thing is, is there's witness everywhere that God made us, that God is the answer to our problems, foremost of which is sin. And beyond God rescuing us and saving us, there is no salvation. Beyond having Christ as your personal Savior, you aren't saved. And so the, the problem is, is mankind needs to know that he needs salvation, that he needs Jesus to save him from his sins. And so, listen... When we share the good news, a lot of times people's immediate response isn't thankfulness. A lot of people are not glad to be hit with the news that you're a sinner with a desperate need. Because a lot of people are going under the assumption that everybody is basically good. And that's not true. A lot of us have learned social uh, constructs that help us to get along in society, but that does not make you good. Because you have not broken any laws today and been caught and thrown in jail, it doesn't mean you're a good person. And the person that is in jail doesn't mean he's beyond redemption. The truth is, is everybody's got to get saved the same way. <laughs> By realizing that Jesus Christ died to save us from our sins and rose again in victory. And now it's the gift that must be received. See, it really is good news. <laughs> It really is that masterful piece of work that God has done. It really is that that best thing that's ever happened. And most of us that have been saved for any amount of time can say without qualification, the best thing that ever happened to me is Jesus Christ saving my soul. Without exception, everybody on planet Earth <laughs> needs that gift. And God is ready to give it. That's the, again, it just can't be overstated how good this news is, even if man isn't always happy to hear it. But the problem is, is Satan is actively in the world telling you how good you are. You know, you may have killed five people today, but man, you're a wonderful person. <laughs> yeah, I agree how good you are. At the same time, also causing even us at some time in our life where we've treated somebody extremely harshly right. because of their sin, and then they hear sinner. Mm -hmm. And they, they right. Perhaps because of that. Yeah, well. yeah, that's true. And that right. sometimes people have a taint about about the, the lingo. <laughs> right. 
But it doesn't change the facts, the bare facts of the matter that sinners need to be saved. And, uh, you know, and so anyway, so it, it, I love the way the Lord Jesus told this, you know, and when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And so it's love and compassion which compels him to seek the lost. And by the way, that's what he tells us to have also. Uh, and I don't have the parable in front of me, but the Lord Jesus told about um, about the master of the feast. And, and he said, go and tell the uh, the people who were invited that, that the feast is ready. Come. And they, with one accord, began to make excuse. I, I have uh, bought a yoke of oxen. I have to go, I have to go find out what kind of oxen they are. I've bought a lot of a lot of land. I need to go see it. <laughs> and another man says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> and so the, the master of the feast, I can't remember if it's a master or the king is I think it's a king in one one place and a master in the other. He says to his servants, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord Jesus wants us all sitting at his table. And another good picture of that is Mephibosheth, which was of the house of Saul. And as Saul was the first king of Israel and David was the man that God chose after his own heart. But after David ascended to to the kingdom, uh, many it was not uncommon that, you know, anybody else who had a claim to the throne would be enemies of the throne. (laughs) But David said, is there anyone left of the house of, of Saul? that I may show him the love of God for, for Jonathan's sake. And so uh, they found Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. And so Mephibosheth thought he was going to die. And he was brought before David's throne. He prostrated himself and he says, behold, your servant. You know, And David says, you're going to I'm, I'm truncating this. <laughs> David says, you're going to sit at my table and you're going to eat at eat with my sons every day for the rest of your life. Listen, God God has done the same thing for every one of us. He took us from being enemies to being sons and daughters of living of the living God. That is what God has done for us. And that's what we need by the grace of God. Folks, I'm sure I'm not alone, but lately I have felt so much my own weakness. I have felt so much my inability. And and listen, none of us have an ability that enables us to share Christ. God does that work in us. God opens our mouth and puts words in and gives us grace to speak or or grace to love or grace to share or grace to show mercy. All of it. It's all God's work in us. And Philippians chapter one says, he which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's all Jesus's work in us. Our place is just to give place to it. And so uh, Luke chapter is here in your notes, Luke uh, number one, Luke two, uh, 25 to 32. This is about God's message to mankind said foremost in the person of Jesus Christ is mercy. And so Luke, if you go ahead and turn there, Luke, because there's more verses of just what's here. Luke uh, two, verse 25. It says, uh, and behold, there was. So this is when uh, this is part of the Christmas story. This is when um, Mary and Joseph brought the Lord Jesus after the birth to, uh, well, let's just read verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according unto thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Verse 39, he says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And what's wonderful about this also, again, is for all of the religion in the world, even under the banner of Christian, there's a great deal of, of, of people that are missing the, the point. All the big, important points, they're often missing. And this is one of them. <laughs> Salvation is not a set of doctrines. Salvation is not religious works. Salvation is not a Baptist banner. Salvation is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a person. And when you receive that person as your savior, you receive salvation. It's the most wonderful. Again, we, we there's not anything that, that, that man can't touch and make harder and more difficult and more complicated and less effective. <laughs> and anytime, you know, the Old Testament um, uh, law said that if you were going to build yourself an altar you cannot, you can only take unshaped stones. You can only build it with, with stones that you find exactly as they are and you put them and you make an altar. You cannot lift a tool upon the altar because if you lift up a tool, you pollute it. The same thing is true about salvation. If there's anything that's added to the work of Jesus Christ, you're polluting it. You can't add to it. You can only receive it as a gift. You can only receive him as your savior. And listen, the work is complete. There's no place for us to add anything to it or take away from. And so uh, Simeon said, from mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You guys are kind of quiet. You guys are all right. <laughs> Sometimes I get more excited about things and I, and I run right over people and people aren't, aren't with it. So anyway, so uh, God's salvation came here for a purpose. I'd like you to see this in Luke chapter four, four. So just a couple of chapters down from here. Luke chapter four, verse 16. <laughs> you know, the truth is, is she was always dragging me to church. <laughs> hey, Zach, good to see you. So Luke chapter uh, four, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day for to read and stood up for to read. Verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave, and gave it again and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This is an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah. And we're going to actually read the actual passage in just a little bit here. <laughs> but the Lord Jesus uh, received the book of, uh, of Isaiah, Isaiah, as it says there, and he read the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it back. And in short, this passage is describing the fact that Jesus came and ministered to mankind. And certainly part of that is salvation. Obviously, an important part of that is salvation. But you see all he said here. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the the, the Lord sent his disciples out everywhere. And he said, the kingdom of the, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they were being told everybody needs to. Move to this place of seeking God with all their hearts. And of course, the story wasn't finished until the Lord Jesus was on the cross. And then again, he rose. And, and so the, that gospel message was available for them in the sense that they could put their trust in God or seek him. But God sent him for the purpose of ministering to mankind first for salvation and everything else afterwards. And so the Lord Jesus had his his purpose given here. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and all those things. So this passage uh, is, is very special in that sense. In Second Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the Lord is longsuffering, looking for mankind to respond to God. Pastor's message Monday or Sunday was about a man's response to God. And that's that's, of course, the... The crux of the issue for mankind is we have to respond to him. The Bible says God, God has said a different place that he has his hands outstretched all day long. He's specifically saying to Israel to a gainsaying people. And that's, of course, the problem with humanity is when God stretches out his hand to give salvation, to give everything that we need. And man says, I don't need it. I don't need your help, your salvation. I don't need anything from God. And, and of course, there's a great deal of mankind and it, it. I know a lot of us get frustrated so much, so much of the time. It's not just the news. It's it's a, it's the state of mankind. You know, we are raising generations that don't have any of the fundamental building blocks to live their lives. They're missing it all fundamentally in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're missing it across the board. Also, they're not learning anything that I learned in school. They're learning all the things that you don't need to have in your mind to muddle up your, your thinking. People are very far from being able to think well anymore. And they're so fundamentally just flawed and with the, with their frame of mind that you can't. I mean, there's so much of our society that is that is breaking people from being able to think well. And we're, we're raising up kids that are just just fundamentally handicapped. And it's a it's a criminal thing that's being done to our kids. And uh, and we need to to ask God to help us to stand against it. There's so many ways in which our society is breaking people down, hindering them from everything that they need, specifically about the Lord and also in every other way. Our, I, I don't believe our schools are are equipping children in any in any good way. So uh, number three, number two here in your notes, but there will come a day. So letter C is God is long suffering. He clearly does not want to bring man to his final judgment. Number two, but there will come a day when the only thing left for God to say to man will be with the sword of his mouth. Now, the thing is, is for us to get to this place that we're talking about, God is 
over and over. And, you know, like I said, just just there in Peter, God is long suffering people. There are people. There's a verse in Peter. I can't remember what it is where he says, you know, all things are continuing as they are from, from, from the beginning. Where is this God that you're talking about? Where is all these things that you say everything keeps on going just like it was? And listen, that frame of mind that people don't need to fear God is very pervasive. America still has remnants of, of spirituality about it. And when those things encounter or are encountered by people, they're rejecting it wholesale. I don't need it. I don't want it. All it does is hinder me from having the things that I want to enjoy in life. Not realizing that those things are actually killing us most of the time. And so there will come a day when the only thing left for God to say to man will be with the sword of his mouth. So before we get to the revelation here, I have this note that for every man individually and for the race of mankind, the day of judgment is coming. So Hebrews chapter nine and uh, verse. Uh, see, 27. OK, I can barely read my writing. <laughs> And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is a context here, and I, I don't like doing that. I don't like mentioning verses out of the context, but I wanted this that point to be made, as, as the Bible is making it so clear, is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, judgment. And listen, that is a very important message for, for um, uh, mortal mankind to know. You are going to die one day. You will face God and you will receive from him a a final. (laughs) You know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, there is no other way for you to spend eternity, but separated from God in the lake of fire. Right now it's it's hell. But even the Bible says in Revelation that hell and death are taken up and they're brought before the throne and their books are opened and every man will be judged according to what's in the books. And there's a book of life. And the Bible says that when when you die without Christ, your name is blotted out of the book of life. And so listen, <laughs> mankind needs to hear the message that you are not not just mortal. You are not just a, fl- a flawed human being. But listen, you will account to God if you do not have Christ as your advocate. If you have Christ as your savior, he is your advocate. The Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us in Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty five. I think it is. He ever lives to make intercession for his people. But if you're not one of his people, there's nothing for you. There is no defense. And there's so many people that think they're going to come before God's throne. There's people that think this. It's not that they don't believe in God. They hate him. And they think they're going to come to God and make a case for why he is so messed up. And why he has really robbed me of everything that I wanted in life. But listen, I I believe the honesty of the the honest truth of the matter is they will come before God's throne and be speechless, unable to say a word. (laughs) Unless it's crying out for mercy. I don't know, but they will not accuse God. I am certain of that. I am certain that it will be manifested. The entirety of truth will be revealed to every person. And so even people that have died separated from God will come before his throne knowing that it's not God's fault. (laughs) And so anyway, uh, every man individually and for the race of mankind, judgment is coming. And uh, and also Christ is offered as a refuge against this day of judgment. And listen, it's again, it's specifically the message that God wants mankind to get. 
There is a refuge from judgment that's coming. There is a refuge in Christ and there's no other way to get to it. So if you'd like to turn, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. I want you to see this, please. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse one, Isaiah 61, verse one. I, I got to say, I have I have encountered lots of places in the Bible where there's something being talked about, a, a way in which things are being talked about. And uh, and well, let, let me let's just go ahead and read it. So Isaiah chapter 61, verse two or verse one. I'm sorry. 61, verse one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to the, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? That's what we read in Luke chapter 2. That's what the Lord Jesus, when they, the book of Isaiah was handed to him, he found this place where this was written. And so he, he read verses 1, and he read uh, the first part of verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and Jesus closed the book and handed it back to the minister. What's the next verse? What's the rest of that verse that Jesus did not read? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And folks, that is the sobering truth (laughs) that mankind must understand. God is the creator and he is the sustainer of the entirety of the universe. The Lord Jesus came and he walked among men. And he ministered, he healed, he fed the hungry, he he did everything in his power to minister to everyone around him in their immediacy of their needs. And then he went to the cross and died for everyone from Adam and Eve all the way to the last man to be born someday in the future. All men were 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 their sins were placed in the person of Jesus and he suffered as a sacrificial lamb unto God. And he did that to save man from their sins. And so now that that uh, propitiation has been made, that satisfying of the wrath of God has been made. But God won't do it against people's will. So he reveals the truth to them and people have to choose. That is the entirety of the matter. (laughs) Every person alive must choose to accept the payment that was made on their behalf and to receive the gift of salvation or not. Every person must accept it or not. And many people, listen, so many people are going merrily along their way, unconcerned about this truth that we just read to, you know, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I believe that's referring to grace, the grace period that people have. To respond to God, to say, yes, I, I want you to save me. I can't tell you how thankful I am that someone shared the gospel with me when I was seven years old. I know me well enough to know how foolish I can be. And I would not want to think about adult Brett rejecting the gospel because of some selfish, stupid, foolish convenience. You know, there's I believe there's people turning away from God today because it's not convenient. It's a frightening thought that you could 
say no to God and not, not right now. I, I believe there's lots of those too. Being told about salvation, mercy and forgiveness and grace and saying, that's a great idea and I'm going to pursue that someday. I'm just not going to do it right now. And the thing is, is Satan has a lot of people bamboozled with that very, just, yeah, just not right now. Right now, I want to live my life. And, you know, listen, people planning to, to get saved at the 11th hour often die at 1030. People need to understand that. You have no time but right now. And the, the thing is, the Holy Spirit can, can convince people of that. And that's why we need to be reliant upon that. So let me read this again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But look at this verse. Continue on to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may, might be glorified. And uh, I was telling you about how I've encountered many Bible passages where there's like a, a way in which God is speaking or delivering a message. But right in the middle of it, there's something else, <laughs> something maybe different. So I want you to see my iPad. <laughs> now, I mean, I'm not telling you you, need, you have to highlight your, 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 your Bible. But I want you to see this. Look at all this yellow highlighting. And then there's this red passage right in the middle. This Betty may not be able to see it. <laughs> and what the point I'm getting at is that this little verse is sandwiched between grace. <laughs> grace on both sides. That God is reaching out to humanity. And listen, I think it's pretty clear from the Bible that he actually does plead. Plead. To allow man to, to be saved. To, for man to allow God to save them. And again, the, the, listen, the tragic part about all this is it's already been done. The work of salvation is already complete. Jesus has already suffered and died and been separated from God and went three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And He rose victoriously. The work is already done. All mankind must do is realize he needs it desperately and receive it as a gift. Because that's how God's offering it. A gift. Not something you've got to go and be religious over 20 years for. Not something you have to do a certain set of works or stop another set of works. The gift is God's to give. The thing is, is it, it, it is... Not just not just something nice. It's what we desperately need. We need God to give us this gift of mercy and forgiveness and grace. And not just that. Listen, if God was only if it was only the gift of forgiveness, that enough would be enough to praise God forever for. But we need him for everything else, too. <laughs> There's not anything we don't need God for. And the sooner we come to that understanding, the better off all of our lives will be all the time. It doesn't mean that things won't be hard. It just means that we'll have his help and his grace for every step. And so for uh, this has all been around the thought of for every man individually and for the race of mankind, the day of judgment is coming. And Christ is offered as a refuge against the day of judgment. And so um, in 
I'm going to go ahead and turn with you. Turn with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I'll just read this real quick. <laughs> I'd like you to read it along with me, if you will. We have about three more hours with the Bible verses to read, so I, I hope you guys don't mind. <laughs> Psalm 91, verse 1. <laughs> That's more laughing than I've heard all night. <laughs> Psalm 91, verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Now, verse four, verse 14, there is a change in who's speaking. And, and I just lost my place. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to ignore that alarm. So <laughs> verse 14, though there's a change in who's speaking here, you'll notice because of what it says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? And of course, that's a, a beautiful psalm. Speaking about who God wants to be to everybody. And, and listen, again, if it was just salvation, that would be enough to praise God forever for. But it's not just that. God wants to be there literally for every aspect of our lives. And he wants to be that place of refuge for us everywhere at all times. You know, so many Christians and, and listen, when I say Christian, I mean people who are born again. So many Christians visit God on Sundays. We are meant to live perpetually <laughs> dwelling in him. <laughs> and so many people. And listen, I, I, I'm not saying this like I'm perfect or anything. I just know that he is the place of peace and contentment and happiness. No matter if there's a storm raging around you or not. He is that place of refuge. And the psalmist spells it out here. In so many ways, verse nine, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. And the Lord Jesus says something similar to this in John chapter 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. It's a wonderful equation. This this thing is not just religion. So many people, even specifically in America, think it's all about religion, man. But it ain't. It is not religion. This is God wanting to dwell on the inside of his people and wanting us to put all of our eggs in that basket. Put no confidence in the world. Put no confidence in the flesh. Put it all in God and him alone. Listen, that's that's where it's at. Anything else is error <laughs> at best. 
had a guy, he's the manager of GDIT, and I'm, I'm, I work for a company who's under GDIT. So he's talking to my supervisor. He's, he's our manager. And so he's talking about investments. And, he, and listen, the guy's savvy, man. He knows what he's talking about. All the good investments, he's, he's got a Tesla that's paid for by investments. He told us the other day that he fell asleep for 15 minutes and the Tesla drove him home. <laughs> I said, man, it's a good thing you were able to live and tell that tale. <laughs> I wouldn't trust it, though. <laughs> anyway, so he's talking. He's, he's saying, I, I don't know that he's bright. All, all I'm saying is he, he asked me, what do you think about that, friend? <laughs> I said, I don't trust any of it. I don't trust the government. I don't trust the stocks. I don't trust none of that stuff, man. <laughs> and I'm sure I look like a raving lunatic to him. <laughs> but I mean, how frustrating would it be to say, man, I got I got 50 million in stocks. And then tomorrow everything tanks and your dollars are worth nothing. Or the government says, you know what? I'm going to take everything of yours, give you what you need, and you'll be happy about it. You know, people are actually saying stuff like that. Look up the World Economic Forum. They're saying stuff like that. We'll take everything and we'll give you what you want, what, what you need, and you'll be happy that way. What do you think, Pastor? Should we keep going? <laughs> All you have to do is look at his face. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. So anyway... Uh, my, my point being is I, I, okay, besides brother Brett being a little, a little office rocker, <laughs> uh, there's no place to put confidence in anything here on earth. Nothing. You put it all in the Lord, not just for salvation, certainly for that, but for everything for the next five minutes, for the next 30 seconds, for the next instant in time, we need God. We need God every day, all day long. So we'll go ahead and stop right there. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, for Lord, your word and for the blessings of it and the, and, the, and the great treasure of this truth, Lord, that you share with us. We thank you, Lord, for wanting to be everything to us. And we thank you that you are up to the task of being everything for us. We pray that you help us to put our whole lives in your hands and walk with you and be obedient to you and shine for you. And, and we pray that people will see you in us and you help us to be ready to give an answer to every person that asks a reason of the hope that lies within we pray that you please be with everyone tonight as we go home. Keep us safe. Be with each and every family and every home and uh, all of our children and grandchildren. Grant your blessings and, 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 and help and, and provision and peace. Lord, we pray for each one of us. Thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.